Welcome to the J Talk, a journalism podcast from five budding journalists talking about the future of journalism and topics that it deals with today. First, we'd like to throw it to Leia and discuss her topics. Okay, hello everyone. Um, I will be discussing why it is important to protect female journalists and journalists of colour from online trolls and abuse. It is important because as a woman of colour myself who aspires to work in the journalism field, I would like to know how these women cope with online abuse and what can be done. Um, as we all know, journalists use social media accounts like Twitter, Instagram, um, to tell their stories and express their, their viewpoints. But as we all know, journalists are not the only ones using these platforms, which means anyone can send hateful and offensive comments. Um, in a 2018 Press, uh, Press Gazette uh, article, they found that one in every 14 tweets directed at women journalists in the UK and US is abusive or problematic, which is according to a new study of online abuse. Um, a couple of years ago, Al Jazeera reported on this issue and interviewed two female journalists from Asian countries where it's difficult to report their views on political issues. Um, because of this, both women were sent sexually explicit hateful messages on a regular basis. And during this report, they had found women were three times more likely to experience online harassment than their male counterparts. Um, there's actually many well-known female journalists in this country that have spoken out based on this issue, such as Nega Manchetti, Laura Koonsberg, who both worked for the BBC, and Charlie Brinkhurst-Cuff, who works for Galgan magazine. Uh, in, recent, in a recent Guardian article published on the 16th of March, uh, sports journalist Julie DeCaro talked about her personal experience of online abuse. Her first encounter of abuse started in 2013 after, after she had published a personal piece on being sexually abused. She was continuously harassed after she published the story on an American ice hockey player called Patrick Kane. The abuse became serious and she was advised by her boss to stay at home for a while, being for her life. So my question is, in what ways can we prevent female journalists from being trolled online? Um, I think they need to be, um, I think they need to be given uh, by the, like, the company they work for or whoever they're like, um, they're under contract for. They need to be protected by the company they're working for. Yeah, I, th I think, uh, I think there's one way is maybe like many platforms like Twitter should be checking up on these accounts. Whenever uh, they complain about it to Twitter, I think Twitter should take it very seriously. So I think there's a responsibility that has to come from the social platforms itself. Um, but can, can, can a social platform regulate every single comment? Especially one like that's so big as Twitter. It's very hard to like track and like actually like block or do anything to these people because it's a it's a social media platform in the end so everybody could say whatever they want so yeah at the not, end of the day where do you like cut the line between not everything they want because i mean if everybody talks whatever they want it's just not going to be okay yeah but, no, but at the end of the day how are you gonna track it how are you gonna limit this Oh, there are yeah, ways how do you, to track how do you cut the line between like freedom of speech and like hate speech? That's the thing. 
Yeah, because at the end of the day, if you're going to start, especially with platforms like Twitter, if you're going to start like um, like Xing people from it, it's becoming like based on the person's view. So it's based on whoever's doing it through Twitter. So it's their like vantage point of what they like regard as right and what they regard as wrong. Up to the like the like um, community guidelines control whether they think it's right or bad. It's not like like it's their perspective. It's not like the general like consensus. So it's going to be up to like what they deem as like bad or wrong, like good or wrong. Well, if someone is uh, feeling offended by a comment, she or he can just report it, and the situation can be less more complicated. Yeah, but then it goes up to them to decide whether or not it's it's suitable for their platform. Yeah. But my thing is, is like, it's well, how do we know that what they deem suitable for their platform is suitable in the rest of society? So, like, to the guy who uh, the guy who might be running the guidelines for Twitter might be thinking that it's okay to speak to him in this way, and because it is his platform, he's um, it's it's like it can continue to go on. So should it just be up to like their guidelines or should there be like an external thing monitoring all like big social media platforms like that and like what what's the what's the way forward with it? Well I think there should be a regulator checking all these comments. Like you said. Like an external thing. Yeah. Yeah, but what are you gonna do after they check it? Are they gonna delete it? It's already said there's no point of deleting it after. No, but I mean, if it's like an account that just continuously just harassing people, then yeah, then shut the account itself. If it's just like one or two comments addressing like to the particular journalist, then just delete the comments. Yeah, okay. So like, should we move on from there? Go to the next person. Thank you, Valeo, for discussing the trolls and abuse that women journalists go through. Our next topic is coming from Behela. Hello, everybody. Today, um, I will be discussing should reporters from diverse communities take sides in their reporting and stories considering racial injustice like uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. This topic is pretty important now because even in the 21st century, racism is still a very serious issue. And even in the newsroom, people of color struggle with discrimination. So in June last year, um, BBC bosses have told their um, journalists not to back the Black Lives Matter movement. They cannot participate in any way. They cannot be seen in protests or they cannot even discuss it with somebody else uh, or they can lose their job. Uh, So the BBC claims that they are not racist, racist. And uh, it's something they have been very clear about. Uh, From an email, uh, they said that we deplore it and call it out where we can see it, as we have done in our reporting of events in the US. So they basically uh, say that they're not racist, but they actually... Uh, are not letting anyone from their journalist to take side. Even if the journalist is a person of color, if they're working for the BBC, they just cannot support a campaign like the Black Lives Matter. Another example of racism in the newsroom is uh, back in 2016, uh, when there was an attack in France, 
Fatima Manji, which is Britain's first and only hijab-wearing newsreader on national television. Uh, she was reporting the attack, and Kelvin McKenzie, the editor of The Sun, was pretty disturbed by this. He said that it's not right for a Muslim journalist wearing a hijab to report the story about a terrorist attack. Uh, which uh, is pretty strange because this way he basically um, tells uh, Fatima that she's in some way included in this attack, which is pretty pretty unreasonable. Uh, and my question for you guys is, um, why is uh, Mackenzie so disturbed by um, Fatima's report? And why is nobody talking about white journalists covering the capital attack that happened uh, a while ago, the same way that Kevin uh, talked about Fatima? I think in general, there's just a, a big misconception about, you know, about Muslims and Islam in general. So I think that obviously leads into like all ways of life and that just leads into the journalism world as well. So it comes from a person's like background as well. It's the way they were raised and stuff. They might have like racist, like, you know, thoughts and stuff, but it's just how they are. Like, it doesn't matter if they're a journalist or a chef or just, just bring it with them basically to, to their job. Especially people so... like high up, especially people high up, like, like this Mackenzie guy would be. They're like, realistically, they would have grown up with people that looked like them in the same financial bracket as them. So that they, when they're looking out for stories or when they're looking out for even just the higher journalists, that's the prison they'll be looking it through would be the one they've grown up with the whole like their whole life. It's more like a stereotype when, when it comes to like all Muslims are terrorists because it's, it's incorrect because when go back in history, it's not the Muslims who started the terrorist groups at all. And then, in addition, like it's, it's very, it's like, like I don't understand why, like, uh, sh like a Muslim woman can't say something about the terrorist attacks because it's clearly if she if she's gonna attack them, she's not clearly with them. So there's no point of she like doesn't have the right to say anything. Yeah, because uh, the stereotype for Muslims is that they're all terrorists, but. Um, white Americans act like terrorists too when they attack the Capitol, and but nobody is telling anything about white journalists covering it because the if somebody tells uh, something like that, the answer is going to be well, the journalists are not included in the attack. Fatima was not too because she's just a journalist who is doing their job to report the story. It's also when we report on white incidents like Capitol. The, like it's not we don't really involve the fact that it was a majority white not even majority it was an all white protest gang but when it when it's about Islam or when it is about BLM matter, like protest their race becomes the forefront of it all. Okay. Did we have our two and a half minutes? Because I have other questions. If we did. Uh, yeah, we did. We did. Okay. 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 Um, next, thanks, thanks to Mahela for that. Next up, we've got Shiri. So, my like, uh, so what I'm gonna go into discuss is like Facebook states or Facebook says that uh, we are not in in the mission of pickling which issues in the, uh, the world should care about. In my opinion, I agree with that statement because there are billions of people that share stories every hour on this pl specific platform, so it's impossible for for Facebook to hire editors and track the fake news. 
So um, this topic has become very like important nowadays because the idea of fake news is becoming a major problem in a newsroom, especially on social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter. And, be, and it's become very hectic because it's untraceable and uncontrollable. Facebook and other social media platforms do not have the money or the crew to trace the fake news on their platforms. Like according to Forbes, Facebook is is by far the most preparatory, uh, which uh, which when it comes to uh, to spreading fake news, worse than Google and worse than Twitter. Uh, a team of researchers, like by Andrew Guess uh, from Princeton University, tracked the internet use over 3,000 Americans in the lead-up of 2016 presidential election, they found that Facebook uh, would be the referral site to, uh, for untrusted news sources over 15% of the time. By contrast, Facebook referred users to, uh, to good news sites only 6% six, uh, 6 of the time. Facebook are not responsible for the fake news that are, are shared on its platform, yet they are working to fight the spread of false news in three specific key uh, key areas. First is disru disrupting economic initiatives because most false students are financially motivated. Building new products to curb uh, the spread of false news and helping uh, people make more informed decisions when it comes to encounter false news, like not spreading them and all. Uh, raising awareness to not spread the fake news. Facebook can only fight fake news by using technology and blocking uh, the known fake news bloggers and all that. Uh, they are doing their best, but uh, but but no one is giving them any credit, uh, especially when it comes to the CEO, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. He was attacked by almost uh, 127 journalists about fake news, with, and no one knew that he was battling the fake news on his platform. So my question is, do you think it's Facebook's responsibility to attack fake news on its platform? And what things should Facebook, uh, like what should Facebook do uh, that they are not doing already to, do, to reduce the fake news that is spreading on their platform? Well, I think Facebook should tackle the issues of you know people producing fake news i don't think it's mark zuckerberg who should do it all by himself of course but i think he should definitely have a team within facebook that kind of checks any story that goes up on the platform yeah i mean especially with like new sharing sites that like what facebook has become now i feel like it's, they've got responsibility to sort of like fact check the things that are being shared on there Crazy when like the whole elections were going on, and Donald Trump really hated the the fake news, and we used to call CNN fake news. But now we're talking about more of that being shared like all over social media. Yeah, I was like, do you guys think that um the like the the agendas that can like be trans like transferred with these like fake news stories on Facebook can be dangerous? Definitely. Sometimes you'll be like sitting at home, and then like you'll see like someone like some news story about like some celebrity dying. You're like, oh, is that true? Or is that is that fake? Or yeah, it could like, be that, or they can even like fuel like hatred towards like a certain group of people. Where like you get these definitely. fake Facebook posts going, all Muslims in the UK want to ban Christmas trees or something like that. Where it's just obviously false, but a certain percentage of the demographic of Facebook are just going to yeah, follow also that, like, just fuel their hatred. 
it's also like fraud because when it comes to the to like to the, to the fake news on Facebook, it's I said it's very financially motivated. So people are like gaining money from spreading these news. So it's it's like fraud or like they're stealing something. There, it's like yeah, it's they not... have they have a potential for economic gain with it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Okay, and so also it's just an easy way, like, to you know, put someone's name in the mud as well to drag people down and like spread false rumors and stuff about certain individuals. But like, people, some people got like, like, like using like social media to be like cancelled by stuff that they didn't even do, or like, just people just fabricate stories about them. I know, and um. Especially like during the 2016 election, where it, there was like a Facebook post going around saying that the Pope supports Trump and all, all of the things that he's been saying, which actually was false. But I know that recently Facebook have put like a section called news, so you can get news stories from trusted me- trusted newspapers like Metro and Guardian. Instead of like following someone's page and getting stories from their page. Yeah, that's great. Great. So uh, next up, we have uh, Sharif, uh, Sammy. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, can you can you say say that again? Because yeah, I yeah, read I, cannot, yeah, bad, yeah. I cannot edit it. Yeah, yeah. This um, <laughs> thank thank you for that, Sharif. Next up, we have Sammy. Well, we're keeping it here with Facebook and we're going to talk about more of the comment section and how Facebook should regulate their comment se- section. The question is basically, if I was a journalist, how, how would I deal with the, these like hateful comments and stuff? And to be honest, that there's lots of ways you could deal with it. And the main way for me, in my opinion, to deal with all of this would be to in- initiate like some sort of ID verification for every account. So if you're going to make up a Facebook account or you're going to make, let's say, a Twitter account or an Instagram account, you need to provide some form of ID to showcase that you're actually the person that's, you know, you're putting your profile forward. And if you do make something a common racist, then you can be held accountable and there's nowhere to run or hide because you can get arrested by the authorities or something. Uh, even this week, uh, there's lots of footballers who have suffered like racism online recently and uh, the leaders of English football have asked the heads of Facebook and Twitter on Thursday to show basic human decency by taking more robust action to eradicate racism and for users' identities to be verified. So basically they want the same thing that I've been talking about as well. And there is there is some leaked documents that that leaked from Facebook side that they're gonna start uh you know definitely like, you know, double downing on like anti black hate speech and they're going to become more aggressively after it. The thing that really annoys me is the way the Washington Post posted this. They say Facebook to start producing anti-black hate speech more aggressively and anti-white comments. So I hate by the fact that every time like the the, the racism's brought up, it has to like be dragged down by like. So if I don't know, it just just in my opinion, this title just shows like racism. Because what? Why would you have to compare it to anti-white comments? And it's not just that, it's when, like, they say, they put, they put as the worst of the worst comments include slurs directed at black, Muslims, uh, people more than one race in the LGBT community, and Jews. But they don't put white as a, as, in there, but they put it in the main title. So I think there's really lots of work that needs to be done in terms of, like, hate speech in general. 
And I think people just need to fix up and just like, you know, you, even if you, because some people that do it, most of the people, in my opinion, they're, they're not really racist. They just do it. They think it's funny. They think it's a joke. But, well, if you're friends with that person and they're okay with it, then maybe, yeah, go for it. But you shouldn't be posting stuff like that online and just spreading hate, especially to people that don't know you. But that's just my opinion. I don't know what you guys think about this. Yeah, I do think like a photo identification like system where you verify a user is like could be a good system. So I could weed out people that have got a history of online abuse and abusing people online. Well, yeah. yeah, exactly. Another thing you could do if you're trying to make an account with the already used idea that you got banned on a different account, you should be like not allowed to make the account just because you have a history of racism. You should literally like keep a record if that makes sense. Weird. And they keep and if they if you've got an ID on that person, they know who that person is. They can link their email or phone number or their picture. They know exactly who they are. Exactly, exactly. The police can get involved and the authorities can get involved. Well, yeah, because it's it's, just, it's it's serious. It's borderline hate crime, even if it is virtual. So should this person be banned like forever or just for a certain amount of time? I think it depends on how bad the comment is. Who's or policing maybe that? how many comments, because he can be, or she can be banned for like a month or two, and then if they do it again, probably the next or the second or the third time, they should be banned like forever, not being able to use this platform. Yeah, personally, I think it would be like, it should be like three strikes and you're out. But that's just me. I don't know how everyone else perceives it. So who's, who would be like the policing those kind of things? Um, I think the, I think the police should be policing those type of things. Yeah, because police in the past have been great when it comes to racism. Yeah, they haven't been great, but I think Facebook and like other these social media pra- platforms should provide the funding towards the police, like to because like who else do you want to deal with? Facebook is a like... Facebook is a free social media platform. All their money comes from like AdSense. So would they like remove their own? Like would they like they only have one revenue stream or one income stream? Are they gonna then? like split that so that you think so that they can like just further dwindle down their own social media platform do you kind of see that happening but they make enough money to do it so yeah but companies make enough to do it to uh, make enough money to solve world peace and hunger do they do it true but yeah you have a point there but you know what it's get like people are waking up to racism that's what i'll say like especially no, last year with black lives matter and all everything that's going on in the world the, Black Lives Matter has been going on for ages. Just because George George Floyd thing gave a more stir because we were all in lockdown, but that just lasted. Just, it maybe lasted a little longer than the other things. But what what impact has that had really? Well, if you look at the Premier League, they still bend the knee before every game. So. Yeah, because bending the knee really does help black people. It doesn't, but it still promotes Black Lives Matter. If that makes sense. I feel like with Wilfred Zaha now not bending the knee, he's he's promoted it even more. Would you not agree with that? Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. But I don't know. He 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 just brings up the conversation. Definitely that that you know just showcases the, the whole conversation about Black Lives Matter and about bending the knees and all. But yeah, you know, it's again something. It's baby steps, but it's something. That's what I'm trying to say. It's something that it's not. It's not obviously. It's not. Not everything has been solved. It's not but... because. It's, but it's not baby steps. It's 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 like empty. Like like the promises with no validity with them. It's not baby steps. They're just like they're just for show. Uh, you you could say that, but I uh, I do I do know like lots of like teams are like donating big money to like anti racism campaigns and all that. Yeah, 
Uh, my topic will be what will make under 25-year-olds consume more journalism and will younger readers ever take the news the same way? Obviously, things do need to change with the world, like the way, with the, way the world's going. Um, younger people really just aren't taking the news the same way that they used to. Broadsheet, broad newspapers, um, uh, those kind of things, just picking up the metro in the morning, that kind of thing is kind of just dying down. Um, so as the, as the tide is changing, us as an industry, we do really need to be um, going ahead with it. We can't be left behind. Um, ever since ever since blogging, uh, you would say people would date back blogging as the start of the um, new modern journalism. The shape of modern journalism would come uh, came out of like the blogging sphere. Um, especially now with social media, we're able to like comment on live events that have just taken place. Um, the Guardian's own Jemima Kiss predicted Twitter can be used for far more than just the messaging services. And she was right because it's evolved into so much more than that. It's become um, like similarly to Facebook or Sammy Shadifa talking about Twitter has now also become a, a new sharing site, more than just a social media um, platform. When, when, and with that, it gives like, reporters the ability to just have a personality while they're covering an area, especially when the area is appropriate for a journalism to show their personality in it. So like Twitter and social media all does give us that chance. Because um, back in the day, you wouldn't have felt like a personable, like a personable touch or a personal connection with a journalist. But maybe now you can follow someone's career, like having like agreed with per like previous views, so that you always are on the lookout for what they have to say next. So social media platforms have given us that opportunity. Um, it gives you, it gives the ability for an active audience member for active audience members now. So we have the ability to like. Uh, debate, chop and change, give us like response to different questions that journalists want the public to know. Obviously, without the trolls and the abuse, hopefully, um, it also has given us like the ability for like, user generated content and all of that. So realistically, like um, uh, we we won't be able to take news in the same way. Uh, Megan Knight and Clark Cook, um, former um, also journalists, have stated that social media has become a form of collaborative networking um, network network journalism. That is creating a media landscape in which the distinction between journalists and audience is disappearing. So that with social media now, we're having to find that um, a lot of people that would have just been audience members are also like, you can just cover your own reports now just by opening up a, a social media platform. You can give your opinion, you can write features, you can have reviews by just opening up a social media platform or a blog. So the so now the, the common person can now become is becoming a journalist with like um, unintentionally even. So what can we do to involve under 25? Obviously, I do think that this younger generation has shorter um, attention span due to the things that are around us, the fast pacing, the fast paced nature of the world moving around us. So I feel like sh short news bites and clips really help that. Um, also adapting to new social media platforms like TikTok and uh, like Tumblr so that when we are, when, when the world is changing around us, we're not afraid to change with it and like not be able to go, okay, we don't want to, show news on Tinder or whatever, on, on the TikTok or whatever, just because it's, it's, it's for the younger people. But no, we need to be able to include the younger people in, what, in, the, in, in the conversations we're having now. So my question to you guys is, is it a positive or a negative that um, with social media, the line between a journalist and an audience member has been blurred? A journalist, because it makes our job harder to find like unique stories and stuff and to... And if anyone can do our job, it means we will struggle to find employment, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's being interesting. And as a journalist, you have to try and keep up with all the trends. And um, so that's that's a hard thing to do. Um, I think it just complicates the job of a journalist way more. 
Well, yeah, and the thing is, there's loads of young people sharing stuff on TikTok about so many news stories. It just makes it just puts journalists in a harder position to try and get their their viewpoint out there. I did. Well, yeah, like you said, you said there's so well, social media platforms like TikTok, which is really popular at the minute, where anyone can make videos about talking about different things that happened like years ago, different news stories, and loads of people talking about it. People are having YouTube channels and talking about it. So, you know, more young people are not really interested in buying and buying a newspaper or even picking up one from the train station, which is for free. It's mainly about social media and it's so easy to switch. But um for me personally I like having a bit of both, like have reading it from like a newspaper and looking at social media. But that's just me personally. But yeah, I mean there's so many social media that young people I definitely think yeah, but... that wave journalism is dying as well because I think like with the evolution of social media I think like print newspapers dying as well and I think eventually like in a few years it might just end up getting defunded and like completely forgotten about oh yeah yeah but people online can talk about everything they, they can say whatever they want and uh, I personally don't believe everything I see on the internet. I mean, I will believe it if there is some kind of evidence from a real news website or just television or something like that. This is when I'm going to really believe it, if there is some kind of evidence. So I don't think uh, it's that bad for journalism. I think there are still people who believe uh, I mean, not believe uh, everything they. Yeah, it's not media. only the the like that social media is evolving. It's it's that like journalism. It's normal. It's normal that journalism is evolving right now, because everyone, even even like the older generations, are now they don't. They're very familiar with Facebook that is that they don't want to see a newspaper anymore. They see all their news on like Facebook or like Instagram and all that. So I think the problem is that there is no credibility or there is no like like you can't be sure that social that the news on social media is true. That's my that's the only concern. Yeah, of course, but you have to and the thing is a way to check if that is accurate is either researching it for yourself or it is coming from a verified account. So that's there's there's many ways to check. Which, which comes back to fake news again, uh, making sure that... That's the thing as well, like Twitter and Facebook choose who to verify as well. Ah, that's true, yeah. So essentially, that's choose, they're telling us who to believe. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good point, Charlie. Yeah. Uh, that's it for the J Talk. Thank you for listening. Please keep the comments and uh, debate healthy and no trolls or abuse. Thank you. Much love, peace, love.